Hey guys, this is Ed Smith, otherwise known as Cartoonist at Large, and you are listening to the Top 5 Comics Podcast. Welcome to Top 5 Comics Podcast, people talking about comics, pop culture, and events. With us today, we have the master disaster, Josh45. What's up? And CBS, which would be me. Uh, see, today we are doing episode number 178. And book-wise, we're going to be going over uh, Batgirls number one from DC Comics, Hawkeye, Kate Bishop Hawkeye number one from Marvel Comics, and then uh, Digger number one, and this is from Action Lab Danger Zone Comics. So Action Lab is the company. And after that, we have an interview from the uh, Denver Fan Experience Special Edition 2021. Uh, I think this is our second to last interview from that show, provided I can find the other interview from the uh, Cat for Kids. So hopefully I can find that, because that was really cool. They're a really cool c- group, like uh, do a lot of charity work for kids fighting cancer, and they're fantastic. You should look them up anyway. Their website is catforkids.org. Check them out. They're awesome. Uh, but yeah, their interviews from, uh, Martin Black Sheep with, uh, the Alliance LARP Denver. So they're a batch of, uh, live action role player types. So we got an interview with him. We'll run that after our books. Uh, before all that, Josh, you got any news over there? A little bit. Well, let's do a little bit of news. What's in the news? What's in the news? So J.K. Simmons is, uh, the fan favorite and everything that he does, obviously, because he's awesome. But um, his next role, we'll see him back as Jim Gordon in the upcoming Batgirl movie. Which is freaking awesome. I do like that idea. I do think it's a little weird that they're saying Michael Keaton's going to be in this one as Batman, which is bizarre. But, okay. Simmons is cool. I don't know if that's just a rumor, because people have been saying that's what the case is. Well, he's back. Um, Keaton's obviously in the Flash movie, though, too. So Yeah, I know he is. Yeah. So as far as pieces, I mean, I guess we'll see what that means. But yeah, as far as uh, J.K. Simmons being back, that's awesome. He's a great Gordon. Whatever dude does, he's awesome. Right. Sebastian Stan says, never say never, that he would absolutely play Luke Skywalker. And I only bring this up is because every time I, I, I'd i love to see like a Luke Skywalker like show, kind of like we're getting Obi-Wan and Boba sure. Fett, Book of Boba Fett and Mando and all that stuff. Like I would just love to see Luke Skywalker as... A Jedi starting starting up the Jet, Jet, Jedi Academy early on, so I mean, I think it'd be awesome. Well, if they were going to try to move forward with like a uh, Luke and uh, Grogu thing, I could easily see Sebastian cast in that role. I mean, they have such similar features with the right hair. He looks a lot like Mark at that age, anyway. Yeah, I mean, I, th- I mean the uh, his body double guy that they used at the end of the Mandalorian. I mean, worked, but I think that it, trying to do an entire series with like that deep fake stuff, it might be, it might be a little bit. Ridiculous. It might be a little much for the current. I mean, someday, sure. Like right now, I, I mean, there's enough money in Disney's hands to do it, but I don't know if, uh, execution wise, it'd be worth, especially when you have the other option. I mean, since Sebastian's already done plenty of things for you, if you, if you guys are questioning what we're talking about, just Google Sebastian Stan Luke Skywalker, and there's people that have cut his face out and put his face in Luke, and they look, it's seamless. It's impressive. I mean, it's very similar. Like, they also... I mean, think back to Looper. They put, like, some prosthetic stuff on Joseph Gordon-Levitt to make him look more like Bruce Willis. They did. And so you could definitely... 
even if it's not quite like they could always add just a little bit of this, add a little bit of that kind of thing to make it even more so. So I thought that was, well, that's kind of cool. We sure like with uh, the whole fake nose they put on him for that movie. So look more like Bruce and his, and his forehead. It was like yeah. his forehead looked all weird. Yeah, yeah, it was crazy, but it was like a whole impressive. It was a whole process. Yeah. So, so I mean, I guess he see stuff done, something similar done with that for pieces just to make it more so. But yeah, I think that'd be really cool if something like that happened. It'd be cool to see like a Jedi Order or like a any other like Luke Skywalker show. It'd be really cool. I think. And I don't. I just because Obi Wan the Obi Wan show starting Kenobi show starting like. And uh, Hayden Christensen's coming back. I did see something the other day that somebody caught, and I'd never seen it anywhere else before, and everybody was surprised. But I guess when, uh, like before him and Obi Wan fight in on Mustafar, is it Mustafar's the planet? Yeah. Um, I guess when he's walking, he doesn't have his glove on. I mean, not not that he necessarily needs his glove because like the the hand is prosthetic at that point, and it looks like flesh underneath the glove. Right. But he always wears a glove, and he doesn't have one on in that scene. Huh. And it's like a really big error that somebody like caught finally. And I was like, I, I just thought it was kind of funny. So okay. it's not really news. I just, I was, no, I mean, it's interesting. So if you're, if you want, if you're into that kind of stuff, like just right as he gets off his, his fighter and is like on Mustafar and is walking, you can see like he's not wearing his glove. It's pretty, it's for quite a, quite a bit of time. So crazy. I mean, I'll tell you, I never noticed. So yeah, I don't. I, yeah. I'm not the biggest prequel fan, so I don't, I don't really pay attention to pretty much anything, so. <laughs> um, well, so a bit of news, this is, this kind of a, it's interesting, it's a little, I don't know, it's, I get it, but I, it's aggravating. So, Mouse, um, has been banned from the school district in Tennessee, uh, the, um, McMinn, uh, County Board of Education has voted to ban the book Mouse from their, uh, learning curriculum, which was being used to teach the Holocaust. And if you don't know what Mouse is, it's a comic adaption of the Holocaust. And it, it, it won a Pulitzer Prize. Like, it, it's what caused the Pulitzer organization to outlaw comic books being optioned as um, things that could be used in the Pulitzer Prize race. Pulitzer? That's hard to say. Pulitzer Prize race. It's a lot of P's. It's going to sound terrible on this. But yeah, as a thing, it, it, they have banned it, and their reasoning was uh, for language and then some nudity. Not the depiction of, I don't know, the Holocaust, people being, well, it, Mouse is, uh, the Holocaust told from Mouse's point of view. Yeah, it's mice versus, and like the mice play the, the Jewish people, mm -hmm. and cats play the Nazis. Right. And there's like scenes where they take them to the gas chamber. Apparently that's okay, but a little bit of language was where the problem was. It is a fantastic book. I wouldn't tell you that it's a fun book to read, but it's it it's it's very very good. Um, if you're looking for comic fun, no. But as a thing, like it, its existence is impressive. But yeah, so that's a thing that's uh, apparently become a thing. And one of the stores out in that area um, went to the trouble of causing a fundraiser to buy a bunch of extra books that way if kids from the school wanted to get them, they could come get them from that store. And I'll give you that's opportunistic of them, but that's pretty freaking cool. It's like a on the bestseller list again. Oh yeah, it's like it's 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 being sold quite a bit, which is probably good. because of part of this. I mean, it, no, absolutely because of this. It's one hundred percent because yeah. of this. But I mean, it's just in this one one small school district in Tennessee. It's not the entire state of Tennessee. No, right, You're correct. But, um, it, it's not it's not the whole state's outlawed. It's just the one region. So I guess we'll see if that changes to other places. But the fact that it happened anywhere is kind of questionable. 
I mean, I don't know how many schools actually use it for their curriculum, to be honest, but, like, as a thing, it's just it's just one of those things where you're like, really? Hmm. Okay. I don't remember there being nudity in it, especially because they represent it as, as an animal. Right. Yeah, me either, to I be mean, honest. I don't either. I mean, I have to go back and look at it. Right. Like, well, I, yeah. I, ha- I just, I'd have, I have it. I'd have to go back and look, read it. I, ha- I haven't, but even then, does it matter? I'm going to say I no. Mean, it's, you know, like it's it's kind of like watching Schindler's List. Schindler's List is exa- it's mm-hmm. it's it's you know there's exactly na- naked people in that, and yeah. it's definitely not in a sexual manner. No, so yeah, it's uh, it's uh, it's not yeah. It's the graphic part of it is more of what the subject matter is because the subject matter is graphic. It has nothing to do with. It's just the things that they pointed out were like the smallest things. And again, because it's animals, it's not quite the same thing anyway. As far as a book, if you if you decide you want a story, I don't know to learn broaden your horizon or whatever. Mouse is fantastic, but I wouldn't necessarily say it's the best like for fun reading. Well, I mean, and I know that schools like are using graphic novels more. I mean, even just the other day, my my mom called me or my dad called me about my niece has asked me if I'd ever read Hamlet, and I was like, well, yeah, um, but why? And they they just were asking because like. I guess Shelby is going through, um, in her English class, she went through Hamlet and she's really struggling with it. And I was like, well, it's Shakespeare. You're going to struggle with Shakespeare. You have to just really just, oh, for but, sure. but they're doing a graphic, they have graphic novel versions of it. And I was like, that should make it easier to understand, which I think like certain situations like that, like, I don't know, like I was forced to read it a, a lot of Shakespeare and a lot of different things like oh, sure, to yeah. kill a mockingbird or whatever it was. And you know, some of those, I mean, people could say to kill a mockingbird is an incredible novel and, or, Whatever, you know, I just, but I, I, it's, it was just like, yeah, it's okay. Right. But like, if, I think if it would have been in like, to me in high school, being in graphic novel form, it would have been a little more interesting, you know what I mean? Just because like seeing it visually, like some, some kids lo- would learn better that way. I don't think anybody learns less from reading and seeing because you're, you're getting multiple inputs. I think most, uh, most people, I mean, maybe there's somebody who just a novel, is all the? I don't think they will learn less from that, though. You I know would, what I mean? Like, I wouldn't think so. You but see, what I'm saying yeah. like I think having both, like both different like media in there, just being just like I think is is cool. For, it gives kids who are less reading ability or get distracted easily or have ADD or ADHD and like they can't stay focused, but seeing the the pictures helps guide them through it more easily i think like it stimulates different parts of the brain right so i think it's pretty cool so that's the whole thing the different parts of the brain that get stimulated from the visual context versus just the words it's the two things at the same time that let you perceive it different that's a whole bag with it yeah totally but it's a pretty big uproar right now with the the whole mouse thing and i i was very surprised that anybody even had the guts to do it like it was probably like some parents who were just like what's this What's this funny book with the nudity in it? Like, you know, I, you know, I don't know. Like, again, I'd have to go back through and read it and see the parts that they're talking about. Yeah, I don't, I don't remember enough of it. But to... in this day and age, when everybody's so worried about everything, that like they're just like, just get rid of it, right? Which is, which is super disappointing because it's, it's an incredible work of a work of art. Right. The whole thing is incredible. Oh no, yeah, no disagreement and there. It's... it's a really awesome take on it. It just really breaks it down in a different level. So. Yeah, it's just aggravating that it's a, a problem at all, to be honest. But yeah, it's one of those things that, like, okay, well, I guess there's one more thing to add to the bucket of stupid. If that's a thing, it should be a bucket that says stupid. And that's where you put all those things at. 
No. Exactly. Only me? Okay. No, exactly. <laughs> uh, I got one more little piece, and that's all I really got for news this week. Um, do you have anything else over there? Okay. So Marvel's made the announcement for their uh, summer crossover event. Uh, it's going to start in July, and uh, it's going to be a crossover event between the Avengers, the Eternals, and the X-Men. Uh, titling at this point is Judgment Day, and uh, it's going to be written by Karen Gillen, or Kieran Gillen. So the same dude who's written, uh, I don't know, tons of other things. Like, that's fantastic. He's writing the Eternals right now. Um, so that's what they're posing out there. There's a teaser image on the internet just with the, a whole bunch of the characters sort of facing off against each other. So what exactly it is, don't know yet. I mean, they're saying the release date's going to be July, so we probably won't have any real solicits for it for another two months probably. But as a thing, that should be that should be pretty cool. Um uh, he's a good writer, so like story wise, it's promising to interweave storylines from the Jason Aaron Avengers into. So he's supposed to be tying up pieces from other storylines from other writers into the whole thing. So, add pieces of the Hickman X Men and pieces of the Aaron Avengers are also supposed to wrap around inside this story. So that should be pretty cool. Um, so I mean that there's that. That's kind of all I really got for news. I mean, there's been a few other things we found out about a power She Hulk has that. Apparently she's had for 15 years that none of us knew she had, and it's the ability the ability to see time annihilate time. Oh gosh, time inaccuracy people when they're in the past or when they're not supposed to be seen by regulars. Apparently she can see them. So yeah, it has to do with the storyline that happened in She Hulk issue three. I mean, go figure. So I mean, it's interesting, but not like I guess we'll see. There's a whole thing going on over in Fantastic Four that just started this actually this week. Uh, called Reckoning War, which I don't think is going to connect to Judgment Day, but I could see threads coming out of it. But since that series isn't supposed to be Fantastic Four flavored, I, I mean, I guess we'll see. But yeah, that's basically all I really had for news. I want to move into some books. Yep. Just to let you know, there will be spoilers. All right, so we're going to open up uh, bookwise with uh, Batgirls number one. And this is written up by uh, Becky Cloonan and uh, Michael Conrad. And the art inside is by Jorge Corona. Um, Jorge has actually been on the show, so uh, he's the same fellow who's drawing uh, Middle West for uh, Scotty Young. And before this, art-wise, did uh, We Are Robin a few years ago. Anyway, so we have an interview with him if you go a few episodes back, probably a year. He was on the show back then. Awesome dude. Good artist. Um, so anyway, the series opens up, and we are joined by this girl who's got, I don't know, kind of a, I don't know, the baggy style outfit on, and her hands are all wrapped up, and she's sitting behind a whole ton of computer monitors. And there's this crazy, like, inner monologue going on about how the world works when you look at it, and how it works differently when you don't, and it references, like, light, and how light can be a photon or a wave, and if you're not looking at it, who knows what it's doing. And, like, references a Schrodinger's cat scenario, and... It's all talking about how, in in real life, it really is a thing where, like, certain elements behave differently if they're being watched versus if they're not, which is part of why people think we live in a simulation. You know, like a video game. Anyhow, while we spin her computer around to where we see the back of what she's looking at, and we have a, a couple images of uh, Barbara and Stephanie and uh, Cassandra, so our uh, would-be Batgirls, Barbara, Gordon, Stephanie Brown, and Cassandra Kane. And uh, this character, 
Later we find out she's called the Seer, is what they're basically calling her, best I can tell. And uh, from there, and there's a, there's a lot in her monologues, you, there's a lot of this you, you just need to read to be able to get all of, because I can't get it all to you that way. Uh, before we cut to the girls, and they have uh, all met together and decided they're going to go live in an apartment um, off the grid because we had something happen with the home base for Oracle getting hacked, which has something to do with the Seer person, was the story from before this story. And uh, during all the crazy stuff with Joker War, um, we saw a reshaping of certain other elements and the whole uh, the whole thing going on with the uh, future state as well. Whenever the Manchester or the magistrate caused problems for all the hero types, so this is results of after those particular events. And uh, the group of them have settled on this new apartment, and they're going to go off on their own, doing their own thing. So kind of birds of prey, but. Uh, not birds of prey. And uh, so they get to the apartment, and of course Stephanie's super excited, and she's like, oh, this is the best thing ever. It's a crazy loft with all these bedrooms, and she's super, super excited to meet um, meet all the uh, neighbors, and she's like, I can't believe this is actually happening. And uh, Barbara's like, uh, you need to stay calm down. we got to kind of keep a low profile, so don't, you know, don't be too crazy. And so they, uh, as, they're, as they're loading stuff in, they talk about certain things that happened before, so they kind of catch us up a little bit on the the magistrate and how the girls have bonded in their ability to fight, really. Because at one point we had Stephanie and uh, Cassandra both take on like a tank full of magistrate agents, and that's something that happened in the uh, in the uh, future state storyline. And it's like really crazy level odds for the two girls to go after, and they did awesome. Uh, but yeah, so in the process of moving in, we have multiple trips back and forth to the car, bringing things in, and they talk about how the uh, the scare at the watchtower, how things got so crazy. She's going to get some new keys made for the lofts. They each have their own key. And then that way they don't have to leave doors open. And just, you know, normal things you do when you move into an apartment. And uh, when we first get to the girls' rooms, Stephanie's super excited because they have bunk beds. And so they're going to be bunk besties. It's pretty hilarious, actually, and really cute. I mean, it sounds a little droll when I'm trying to explain it, but it's it's really funny, like the way... Stephanie's super excited to have this new best friend roommate, and Cassandra's just Cassandra, who's very, uh, you know, quiet, sort of shut off from the world. She seems angry all the time, so where Stephanie's like, ooh, this is going to be an awesome party, Cassandra's like, seriously? You need to be quiet. Uh, anyway, in the process of collecting things, they want to run into the next door neighbor, this old man who's out cleaning his, uh, he's out with a broom and like a big bag of trash. And of course, Stephanie's real friendly and talks to him, and he's like, hmm. Very, uh, the shoveler, think like Home Alone. And, uh, she's like, okay, bye. And Cassandra's like, we need not talk to the neighbors. And we get upstairs, and, uh, in the process of them moving things in and out, they take multiple trips, and Barbara's made a, uh, arrangement of all the foods, products that they have. And it's not a lot that they have with them, so, like, it's a giant, uh, table that has all these little bags of different foods, and mostly ramen. And uh, Stephanie's, like, super excited because she found this flyer for this new art exhibit that they, they all have to go check out. They just need to go check it out. So it should be so cool. It's called Spellbound. And uh, in the process of that, they're all trying to decide what to eat. And uh, Barbara says something about eggs. And Cassandra's like, I really like eggs. I, we should go to the market and get food. She just she just came back in, and Barbara asked her why. Oh, the why goons she, are after Like, what happened to you? And mm-hmm. she said, Where have you been? She's like, there, somebody tried to take my the last box, and... You told me to stay out of trouble, so um, I had to pretend that I couldn't defend myself and let him take the box. And Barbara was like, what was all in it? She's like, oh, my favorite bathrobe and my, my towel and my body wash. And was like, 
Like, well, you did the right things. We're trying to keep a low profile because that all, that seer girl is like watching for them and like made the made the clock tower or the watchtower, whatever, whatever it's called, the clock tower. Like, clock, yeah, the clock tower blew, blew it up and then like made a like make fake video, which happened in another series. Mm-hmm. Made a fake like a, a fake video of them showed made it look like the Batgirls did it right. So like they have to get to a new place and they're hiding out basically because they're kind of on the run, right? So she basically tells her that she'd let the guys take the box, and we see a we see a quick view of them, which Cassandra's angry that she had to let them get away, and Barbara's like pointing her finger at her, and she's like, "Yeah, yeah, no, that was the best choice. You should. It's a really good thing you did that." And uh, Stephanie's like, "Oh, I'm really sorry about your robe. If you need any of my stuff, you can take some of my stuff." And she's like, "No, no, it's fine." So we go from there. We we see a little bit of them trying to make decisions about having dinner. And we wind up hearing over the TV that's playing about a uh, killer that's stalking the streets. And there's been uh, five five similar attacks. And uh, you need to keep your loved ones close and keep them safe. And so, uh, of course, Stephanie and the girls hear that. Uh, we cut from there to later in the little bit later in the evening. And we have uh, Cassandra, who's coming out of the shower. And she's wearing this crazy bathrobe that looks like a unicorn. And uh, Stephanie's like, oh, um, I thought your robe got taken. She's like, uh, I found it. And she's like, oh, good. Um, it, it basically, we just, we, we wind up learning that she didn't, she didn't let the boys get away. Like, she whooped them. So she didn't lose anything, but that story she gave Barbara was to keep Barbara happy. And, uh, <clears throat> in the process of, uh, them talking for a second, she winds up looking out the window and we wind up seeing, a a couple of the neighbors downstairs, this, uh, dude in the street who's staring up at her. She sees the pile of the dudes. So the guys that were, Stealing the box, they're all laying in a pile on the ground, and uh, the neighbor guy was just like looking at their bodies, which is crazy. Uh, so now it's evening, evening. Well, there was a different guy that like saw. He's the guy that looked up the window. Yeah, yeah. he was there and right next to the bodies. Yeah, that's a different neighbor guy. Yeah, and then that's when uh, Cassandra was like, "It's cool. I wore I wore a mask. I put a bag over my head." She's like, "You put a bag over your head? What bag?" And then she showed her the bag as like a it's like a weird like gift bag of some sort. Like a ha- like a holiday present bag. Yeah, it's a it says fun on it. Like the uh, bag's like a bir- it's like a birthday bag. Yeah, yeah. That's after the after she gets questioned more about it. Like the girls go get dinner and the two of them are in the room talking and she's like, "Well, I saw the guys." And that's when Cassandra explains to her about putting the bag over her head. And it's <clears throat> it's funny because there's no eye holes, but I mean, she's also awesome. So who knows if she wore the bag or not? And after pacifying Stephanie with her story about the bag, uh, they go to bed. Uh, so then we fast forward the next morning. Uh, they're downstairs making coffee. Barbara gets downstairs and she's overly tired because she doesn't sleep right, you know. And uh, she tells the girls that they've got these these, these rat walkie-talkies and radios to keep in touch with each other. And uh, basically gives them these sidekick-looking things. They're just like two-way radios. Just burner. No. Burner, burner style so phones. Two walkie, they give them walkie-talkies. She said, don't use these sparingly because they're really loud. So, like, if you only use them, if you really, really right. have to. And then here's some burner phones that have, like, very limited minutes. The phones aren't to be used for scrolling because of the minutes on them. Uh, then, of course, one of the girls asks about food. And she says, well, we're getting that. So, while out buying groceries, the two of you are going to need to set up some encrypted... need to go to a few locations to set up my new encrypted grid. That way, once you get it all set up, we'll be safely back online. Because of the whole seer thing... They have middle access to the internet, which was what Barbara's strong suit is, especially being Oracle. Because the girl hacked their system, they need to build a new encrypted grid. So she tells the girls they're going to have to leave tracers different places around the, 
will the market while they go out and buy groceries. So while they're doing that, um, that'll help set up the new web as it would be for the, uh, Batgirls. And, uh, <clears throat> she says, I guess you're wondering now how you're going to be getting around. Well, join me outside. That's where the next bit of, for the next big surprise for the two of you. And Stephanie's like, I love surprises. And so out they go. And we come downstairs to the garage. <clears throat> and Barbara opens it up. And inside she has two scooters. And uh, both of them have Batman logos on the front or Batgirl logos on the front. Which seems a little on the nose, especially if they're just riding them around town. But I guess it's fine. And uh, she's like, they're made of carbon fiber and reinforced polyaluminum. Poly- poly- and so they're bulletproof, and the engine casings are, are bulletproof as well. So she basically has these really souped-up mopeds that are all built to be bulletproof and awesome. While well, Barbara's super excited about it, Stephanie's like, um, okay. And Cassandra's just like, uh, yeah, I don't know about that. Uh, but she leaves the two girls, she's like, okay, well, I have to go do stuff, so you guys go get groceries and get everything set up. And uh, from there, we wind up finding out that Cassandra has appropriated a set of keys. Um, well, it turns out the two thugs that she beat up, she appropriated their car, which is this, like, crazy-looking, I don't know, it's like a caddy, man, with a crazy skull on the front of it. Like, it's it's kind of awesome. So the two girls put on their suits, and out they go to, to lay all these trackers and search around the town to build this new grid up. And, uh, of course, the, the car itself is, like, loud, like, muscle car loud. But uh, it, it looks awesome, and, I mean, I don't know, it seems to be pretty fun. Both of them seem to love it. And uh, as they're out tooling around doing stuff, they wind up taking in some different sites of the city, like just trying to get used to the surrounding area and seeing the places that have problems and taking a look at all these places that uh, were also where the sightings of the criminal, the, the the killer, the stalker killer, has had sightings of. So they're doing investigation stuff while they're also setting up the grid and also out shopping. And then uh, in the process of doing things, they come across this group of people out in the middle of the night. There's a whole bunch of people dressed like workers. So the... So the stalker killer thing, like, I don't know if you touched on that, that, like, when she turns on the, the TV, old, the old tube TV, mm-hmm. did you? Yeah, yeah. They heard a lot earlier in, like, two days before this. Well, maybe a day before this. Whatever. Timing-wise, we've had w- at least one evening. So at least a day before the, it was playing on the TV, yeah. We yeah, the newscaster was talking about this, how there's mm-hmm. a serial killer. Keep your loved ones safe. Yeah, yeah, we went over it. So that, that reference was in there earlier. Uh, but yeah, so the girls, while they're out looking around, they come across the batch of hoodlums that uh, Cassandra had, had worked on, and it looks like holding hostage a bunch of construction workers. And uh, of course, the girls can't let that go, because the, the hoods are down there with bats and guns, and uh, it's best we can tell interrogating or threatening the uh, workers. So both the girls drop in there and uh, basically start whooping the dudes, and then it turns out that the construction workers don't seem to be correct. Correct, because they're not really, they're not really doing anything. They're all just sort of standing there with this bent gaze on their face, and like, all of them are almost like in a trance. So after the girls beat up the boys, and they turn to the construction workers, they're like, "Oh, hey, uh, are you guys okay?" And neither one of the girls can really get a read on what is happening with these construction workers. Uh, the fight persists a little longer, and the girls basically finishes off the rest of the gang, and. Uh, after beating up the gang, they, you know, they back girl away because that's how that works. And uh, when they turn back to the construction workers again, they're like, uh, excuse me, sir, uh, we just saved you. You're free to go. And the the one guy that talks to him is like, guide us. And all the rest of them seem to have the same mentality, very like in a trance or under control. And 
none of the girls know what to do, and they just keep saying things like, teach us, guide us, very, like, I don't know, mind control-like. Anyway, eventually the girls, as the construction workers start getting closer and closer, very, like, I don't know, creepy, like, zombie-style almost, uh, Stephanie lets out a batch of uh, gas, and the girls back her away, and we want to rejoin them back at the apartment, and they inform Barbara about the situation and tell them, tell her how they watched the how they watched the uh, construction workers, and they just sort of milled around and eventually seemed like they went back to normal. And uh, they couldn't really understand what it was supposed to be all about, and Barbara's initially upset at them because she's like, because girls can't be out causing problems. Like, until we get things set up, we're not safe. You can't, like, this person can't, can't find out about us. And uh, Stephanie's like, we were careful. No one saw us. And uh, it's like a little bit of a lecture between the girls. Anyway, eventually they, they go to bed, and... Uh, the two of them both are like, we, we need to go out again. Like, this can't be, we can't let it be where it was. Like, that stuff was way too weird to just let it go. And so they both put on their suit again, and like, Stephanie's, they haven't really changed. They're also wearing a costume. Anyway, so Stephanie grabs, grabs a pair of binoculars and she starts looking out the window. And, uh, what she sees out the window is the old man from earlier, the one who was cleaning his, well, was sweeping the dust and had his, uh, trash bag with him, carrying what appears to be a full-sized bag of trash that could be a body. And of course, that's her initial, like, response. It's very rear view window. And she's like, yeah, that could be a full body. And she's like, we have to investigate. We, we have to see what was going on. And, uh, of course, Barbara's like, we need to, f- first you have to find evidence. Then second, you have to de- detect things. You can't just go off gut reaction like that. And Stephanie's like, oh, I, I don't know. It's a human sized bag of garbage. And she's like, well, you're just speculating. We have to collect evidence. You, you have to go on things we know. We can't, he's just grumpy. He's our neighbor. So she basically tells them that she loves them both and they need to let it go. Well, uh, neither one of the girls can really do that, so they both just take off into the night to do more Batgirling. And uh, Barbara sits up with the computer trying to set everything back up. So once the girls are gone, Barbara's falling asleep and we get this like kind of ominous It's Bing is what it is, like when you get a direct message. Yeah, your phone makes a chirping noise. And we see the computer screens and eventually we see one really close. And the Bing is a message that says, do you know where your Batgirls are? And it's got that red tone that we saw before with the Sears computers. It's like the same color screen. And uh, from there, we hear uh, one of the mic- one of the uh, radios being used, and it's like, Oracle, do you copy? Are you there? I think we might have messed up. And uh, we pull back to reveal the next catches. So the girls out running about doing things have run themselves into the Saints. Uh, and the Saints are basically like Manhunter types. Um... And I don't, I don't really know where they've come from or if this is the first time we've ever seen them because they don't look familiar to me. But there's a whole like team of them, one with a giant Iron Man sort of type of suit, spikes all over it. Um, and this is he's Titus or Tardis. And then we have another one that's a female lead with like kind of a Deathstroke kind of look to her, called Valentine, and she's got a heart over where her one eye would be. And then we have Fido Five, which uh, is like a little robot dog. And then uh, Aceus, which uh, basically looks like a sniper guy with a bunch of guns and pouches all over him. And uh, these girls have run into them out in the uh, alleyway. And at this point, uh, they're there for the girls. And they're there for Oracle. That's who the Saints are after. So who sent them? Why they're there? How they got there? No idea. Uh, but that's the wrap of the first book. So it leaves on a cliffhanger. You know, the girls out doing things that they were told not to do. And Barbara, you know, finally at home sleeping a little bit. Um, as far as the series is concerned, issue one's great. Like, I liked it a lot. Um, 
Hori Corona's kind of got like a fun sort of poppy style. Um, I, I like it. It's kind of sketchy and it's a little messy, but I, but I like it a lot. Um, I like these characters. Uh, as far as uh, writers, uh, Becky Cloonan's a good writer. Um, so as far as series, I mean, I give it a, I give it a three and a half. Like I liked it a lot. It was really fun. It was really fun to read. Um, I just enjoy these characters doing things. And now that we have them both back in the universe, and we have basically Cassandra back as Batgirl because she's wearing the proper black Batgirl suit, whereas Barbara's Oracle and Stephanie's still spoiler. I think that's really cool. I mean, I liked her being the orphan. I liked her being Black Bat just fine, but I prefer her in the Batgirl persona. So I think that's really cool. So yeah, score wise, I give it three and a half. Um, Mr. Josh, what do you know about the Batgirls? I agree with you. Like the writing is really good. Um, you know, like I don't. My thing is, I mean, Stephanie acts more like I know she acts way too giddy in this for me. Like it seems like she's trying to be the lighthearted one when she's never been that way before, really. I think they're just trying to write her younger because she's of the group of them. She theoretically would be the youngest. Yeah, but the, I mean, she's always been very teenage angsty, and she's like acts. She's acting like very not that way at all. She's very not, yeah, that's true. very like Gwen or like Gwenpool. Yeah, kind of like like very giddy and happy and uh, so excited about so much and everything. It's just a like a little more Valley Girl than normal. Well, you know, and so and you know, Cassandra like is under like if you know anything about her and if you've read her since the beginning, you understand that like like uh, words are her like very 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 second language to her. Like she didn't she didn't speak like she didn't even like hadn't been spoken into for a lot for most of her life. Right when Cain raised her, and so. Um, you know, so that's a little bit more understanding because like she she communicates with with actions and like movements of your body. So like that's a little bit more understanding. But like the Stephanie thing, I thought was a little odd. And then uh, uh, Barbara being back to Oracle, I, th- I was I thought was great because when they tried to make her young for a minute, like I didn't really understand the whole point of. I mean, she's I know she's walking again. Right. I don't I don't, I don't know when that happened. It just magically happened. Well, New Fifty Two did that, and like the New Fifty Two went through a weird roller coaster. So like at the very beginning, of New Fifty Two, we had uh, Gail Sabone riding Batgirl, and the answer for her walking was that it was just a miracle, and one day she could walk again, which is a pretty simple, stupid answer. And I don't blame Gail for that at all. I think it was a m- mandate from. DZ proper wanting her to be back to being back girl so they could do away with the two girls and streamline what we had. Because initially we didn't have Stephanie around at all and there was no mention of, of Cassandra at all either. So Barbara just all of a sudden was not paralyzed and it was a miracle and she was back to being back girl as if nothing had missed a beat. Yeah. Now eventually they did try to make her younger in the second, it wasn't even a second run. Like, Gail got off the book around somewhere around 35 yeah, or 36. It seemed like she was a teenager again. It was really yeah. weird. They had two new people take over the writing, and we gave her a new costume, which the costume was pretty cool, but, and we actually reviewed the first issue of that book. It was Batgirl Burnside, which was not in issue one, it was issue 36. And in the volumes, if you look for New 52 Batgirl, there are two different volume ones. There's a volume one where they make her go back to college, and she starts acting. I mean, they, they, they did a couple things that were good in that series, but a majority of it was just making her dumb and like making yeah, stupid which, choices. I, which again, like that was one of the another one of the things about New Fifty Two I didn't like. So that I mean, was I, what, way without, later. It well, wasn't but even the original then, stuff. but it was kind of part of that whole thing. And like you know, without going off on a weird tangent, like I don't know, we never got to see an adult Barbara Batgirl, like a proper, like actual, full on, like adult, like being a detective and being a computer genius and being like kind of like how Tim is 
but like a, but Barbara's version and being like, I don't know. We never got to see that. And I think like, if you're going to give her her legs back, I mean, do like a more like the adult Barbara, like the adult, how Dick's an adult, you know what I mean? He's been Nightwing and he goes through all these like adult things. Like, well, we, we did get a little bit of that after the bird's eye stuff, um, subsided. We went back on track with a regular Batgirl. Like those two writers were off it. And, uh, so one of them got in trouble for pandering apparently. Anyway, um, but yeah, before the Batgirl series ended, um, somewhere around number of probably 40, we got back on track with her and she was doing like proper Batgirling and proper like detective stuff. So they, they dropped the college line. That whole Burnside has like maybe three volumes. And then after that, we get back to normal Batgirl. So they, we, we did. It was unfortunately just a really brief time. And like all Gail's time, it was proper Batgirl. Like she wasn't doing the Oracle stuff, but she was doing the detective stuff. So the first 35 issues are really good. I mean, the only thing that's lame is the miracle, which I think if Gail was given the choice to do it how she wanted to, it would have been totally different. I mean, she made him not even, I mean, if it was really up to her, she probably wouldn't even take her out of the chair. I mean, she wrote all that Birds of Prey stuff where she was just awesome. Well, in this, she, she seems like an, a complete adult. Oh, yeah. The way she's and at like, now. None, none of that stuff, I didn't think that she did. Did she ever act like a complete adult? During, like she, during, like, during the end of the series, she got back to, like, she was, like, she was actually, like, an equal to Bruce and, like, be able to, like, stand up to Bruce like Dick does and, like, things like that. Like, you just, you know, I, I never saw much of that. So, like. Yeah, a lot of that stuff in the middle fell short of that. Like, not, not the Gelson Moan stuff and not the stuff after the Bruce no, side. I mean, but, yeah. again, like, I didn't, re- I don't, I, I mean, hit or no, miss, no. but, like, yeah, I don't, yeah. I don't remember seeing any of that. Like, the proper adult Batgirl, like, a, like, and not Batwoman, but, like, as Barbara, as basically Batwoman. Like, right. I know that we already have that, but like, yeah, totally different thing, totally different character. I know for sure, but like, if you like, like as she grew up and like became her own thing, like which she was Oracle, she was an adult, just like Dick grew up and became Night. He went from Robin to Nightwing, and he right. became his own person. And it's just like they'd be cool. Again, like I said, if you're going to give her her legs back and like she becomes like what she used to be again, like phys- physicality wise, right. I mean, give her like some adult storylines and like, I, I just thought it was just really, it was like a waste to me, yeah. but like, she's back to like, she's falling at like mom in this. Yeah. This, this, she's acts more of like what she did when she was in the chair with the girls. I mean, even with the birds of prey series, she kind of wound up being the house mom. Well, and uh, I mean, I, cause Diana was like, so, I mean, they're so adults. It was just like, it was like, you know, Charlie's angels kind of thing. Oh yeah. During the birds of prey. Yeah, for sure. But like, she, but I mean, yeah, I just, uh, again, not to go like off on a crazy tangent. That's like, that's what I took away from this. Like, I like the book overall. I give it like, I give it like a two, seven, five to a three, like right in there. The art was real messy to me. Like, and I know that that's kind of his style, but like there, and there's parts that are really cool with that. Well, they're messy. There's a bit of a lot of bright colors and a lot of crazy backgrounds, like 70s style. And like, but with also with girls, like a lot of pinks and purples and, like, um, you know, uh, emerald greens and things like that. Like a lot of like feminine colors, which I thought were, is really cool in that aspect, you know, but, um, some of it, like, like when they're driving the car, like the car, like that part looks real messy. And then the fight scenes, I thought were a little kind of funky. Um, there's a like, lot, there's like a kinda, lot going on in them. Kind of following it. It was a little, it was a little weird, but overall, I like the story, like that they're moving into a new place, kind of, and trying to like, like, like they're hiding in from this, you know, this new villain. Basic, you know, like a, and so I, I, I don't know much about that villain, but like, I, th- I think it's, I mean, I think it's cool. And I like seeing Cassandra back in the Batgirl suit because I have, she's always been my favorite. Right. 
Like her, her, her backstory, I think is one of the coolest in comics, like how she was trained with no like actual words, like her language was body language. And so that's why she's such a brilliant martial artist. And that's why she was technically able to take like Lady Shiva down because she was like, Oh yeah. Go toe to toe. Like there's only like, there's only like a few people in the world who are better than her. And it's like Bruce is one of them. And even that's kind of, there's been times when it's almost been questionable. Well, and she even thought like at one point when she was initially, on the wrong side of things with Bruce or with Batman, there was fights there too that were, I mean, neck and neck. She's just an incredible. Yeah, she's fighter. awesome. So good. So like, like I just I think that's really neat to have her back in that. Um, again, one of the new f- things that like got lost in New Fifty Two, which was disappointing, and like they've tried to fix things slowly. Yeah, I mean, eventually we we had her show back up. And we did the whole orphan storyline where she was in a different persona, but at the time we had. Barbara is Batgirl, and Stephanie came back eventually into the fold, too. So it just took years of time to get those characters back into the storylines to make them connect. So as far as Fitz concerned, yeah, it it was a, a rocky road there. And it, it as far as time, it, I think it took longer than it needed to for both of them to show back up. Right. But, yeah, I mean, eventually they did, and that's why we're here now, so... But yeah, as far as the thing, I'm, yeah, I'm with you with the whole Batgirl costume. I'm, I'm really happy to have her back in her suit. I think that's cool. Sweet. Um, all right, so we want to move on to the uh, the Kate Bishop Hawkeye. All right, Hawkeye Kate Bishop number one. This book's written by Mary K. Nijkamp, I think is how you say it, and it's um, drawn by Enid Balam. And if you liked Hawkeye, then you'll really like this book. Um, it's that character that kind of fanboys out over Hawkeye, and like, I know she'd been around in the comics for a lot longer, like than the obviously than the TV show, but um, this is a good jumping on point for this character because it's pretty cool. So, um, here we go. It starts out with uh, she's texting back and forth with her some friends back in New York, and she's still she's in out. You come to find out she's in California, and uh, they're texting her, like asking if she's coming home or not, and she's texting with Cassie. Um, Cassie Lang, which is Ant-Man's kid, um, Sting, aka Stinger, and she's also America Chavez, um, another friend of hers, back from New York, and they want her to come home, and she's still out in California, kind of doing her own, like, private investigating thing, and as she's texting back and forth with them, she's like, sorry, I'm busy, I'll get back to you in a second, I'm working on a case, and they're like, what, what, what investigation, what case, what are you talking about, like, have you cited yet, are you coming back? And she's in the in the meantime, she's also talking in her own head at, about this building that she's going into to do some research for her, for a friend of hers who's a detective. And obviously, when she goes in, or not obviously, but when she goes in there, she uh, runs into a guy with a like a ski mask, and um, she says, "I don't suppose you'll accept the old I gotta." Uh, I got lost looking for the bathroom excuse because he's like, get up slowly. You're not even supposed to be here. The building's closed. And she sweeps him and knocks him on his butt. He starts shooting in the air. And uh, as she's doing this, she's like, first rule of superheroing, put your phone on silent when sneaking up on villains. And don't don't text and fight kids because she's been texting and talking to her friends the whole time. She's like been like snooping through this building. Oh, yeah. The entire time she's been, like mine's in two different places. So like. Talking to Almost both, like, both like the girls. Her, well, her body's in one place, her mind's in one place, and then she's texting in another. Those are in a group chat. And then the, she goes, second rule of superheroing, know your enemy, specifically know where your enemy is. And she sweeps him. That's when she sweeps him. 
and kicks the gun out of his hand. And then she said, third, third world superheroing, embrace your inner signature moves or something. Cause she does some like sweet kick. But as she does her kick, she grabs her bow and shoots an arrow in the, the, the right through the trigger hole of the gun and sticks to the wall. And she, then this is when she starts giving you kind of a description of like what she's doing. She's, but she's talking out loud to the thug. And she's like, my friend Detective uh, Rivera had this lovely file line open on her desk, something about threats to the free clinic next door. She's keeping an eye on the exits, but I figured I'd pop by the neighbors in case you're going all Shawshank on her. Um, and I love it when I can do a friend a favor. And in her head, she's like, fourth rule, superheroing, follow your instincts. Because obviously she knew something was going on in this building. She 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 grabs her phone because it, it beeps again. And she and it says superhero mode, which means silent mode. But I thought that was kind of funny. As, and as she as she starts to go farther into the building, a bunch more thugs come out. And uh, she's like, "I love my friends, and they, but they don't understand office hours. I get, and I guess you don't either." And they're like, "Hey, you shouldn't be here." And so she just starts firing at different arrows at people. And you know, a lot of them are trick arrows, but like she and she's shooting them in all non lethal places. But one of them is right in this dude's knee. And I was like, that's gnarly. Oh, yeah. Like, horrible. And then ran through his hand. And uh, and she's like, uh, see, that's what they tell me. And I'll tell you a secret. They're right. With American cast in New York, going back would be like a Young Avengers reunion. Clint is somewhere. Definitely not not here. And uh, she, so she's talking about her, like, West Coast Avengers slash Young Avengers team. Right. And uh, she's like, and it's not like I have to stay for Johnny either. We're doing the whole... We're better as friends thing, and I think a little distance would do us good. I don't know who Johnny is. He's a character from the West Coast Avengers. They did a they did a seven part miniseries probably like three years ago now. They had a whole team of them in the West Coast doing things, and Hawkeye was part of that story. Uh, but so was Johnny, and he was like the love interest. So, but yeah, she, but doesn't she, matter for the story. So she's just kind of saying like it's good, like these are all the reasons a good reason to go back to New York to get because uh, there's not really much. She liked being out on her own, but there's, she needs to do something else. Like Nothing holding her there anymore. And she's like, and she's fighting through all these different thugs. She goes, hey, want to be villains? She's like, watch your step. And she kicks this guy and knocks him down. She's like, um, just, one guy yells, to stop her, we're nearly ready. And they're like, we're trying, boss. And, and like she's just taking taking him to town. And she jumps and like shoots an arrow at the this bomb. Looks like they're going to get ready to blast a hole through this wall. And, uh, but except of disarming the the bomb, it explodes and like opens the thing up, and she's like, "Oops, kind of hope that would dismantle the bomb." But the point is, uh, home is complicated. The complicated explosions are easy, because she's like trying to convince herself in her head that it's time to go. And uh, and then she said, "Detective Rivera's cleanup crew should be here soon enough." And she shoots like a net, and then like a gel one, and shoots another guy like and sticks him to the wall. As, as this guy's yelling at her, like, hey, like, let me go, let me go. Um, she's like, have you considered a, maybe a better hobby, like knitting or stamp collecting or baking sour or bread? And he's like, my plan would have worked if not for your meddling. You, and then it's like, you know, kind of like the Scooby-Doo thing. And I just thought it was pretty funny. Um, and that so far, like the writing and the little, the little, uh, Easter eggs here and here and there are pretty cool in this. Um, like the little cell phone one, like superhero mode. Oh, yeah, yeah. Um, well, there's a lot of, like, so just like Batgirls had a lot of, like, monologuing things kind of going on or in, in her head stuff. This one's got that, too, because a lot of it's, like, her back and forth with herself, like, trying to make decisions about things. But, yeah, it's it's got some neat, like, the superhero mode is, is really funny, actually. And having 
if you've seen the Hawkeye show at all, you just think about Kate in the back of the cab, like, do I text him again? I don't know if I should text him again or not. Oh, gonna do it anyway. And right. like, this, how her brain works. This is written so like same. It's awesome. Very similar, yeah. And then, uh, she's, she goes up to the guy as he's stuck there and is like, anyway, I needed this. So good talk. Thanks. And, uh, she goes back to texting her friends and saying, um, yeah, I'm, I'm coming. Uh, but don't worry, but I have a pit stop I have to make on the way. And they're like, pit stop? What do you mean? She's like, yeah, I'm working. I, I got like a little case I got to work on. They're like, oh, she's like, um, I wasn't going to take it, but, but you know, but crime, crime fighting inspired, inspired insight. And, uh, her friend's like, it's going to be a trap, you know, and I'm going to have to bail you out. And, and she's like, well, I'll be fine. They're like, yeah, famous last words, Kate Bishop. So she's packing up her stuff. There's another little Easter egg I thought was cool. It's a little Gwenpool mug. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and, uh, and she's got, Seven missed calls from uh, Detective Rivera, and she's looking at like a handful, like a, so like a tickets and some an invitation to a place called the Resort Chapeau. Um, uh, t- that's in the Hamptons, and she, if she's heading back to New York. Hamptons is like in New York State, right? I think it's in New York State, but it's, and it's it is, within driving. It's, like it's they, a ritzy, high class kind of area. But I'm not sure, like, if it's st- actually still in New York or if it's a different state. But it, there's all the states are super close to each other, so. Anywho, she's like, well, what do you say about a trip, trip lucky? Cause she's talking to the, the, uh, one-eyed dog, which is with her still. Right. And, uh, a fancy resort on the way back to New York, pool time, probably a trap. And, uh, I'm like, well, we've had a good time, didn't we? And we'll leave the West Coast in capable hands. And, uh, it's kind of funny cause like the door to her, at where her, her office basically, like, slash, I'm assuming where she lives too. Because it has a kitchen, so it says Hawk Investigations. But it's then a, a gigantic eye right in the middle, so it's like Hawk and an eye. Yep. And she walks out, and she runs into some friends of hers, and they're like, I "Thought you could sneak out on us?" I'm like, "Well, we know, we know, we've got this. Don't be a stranger." And so she walks to the airport, gets on the plane, uh, takes off. And next thing you know, she's landing and pulling up to this gigantic, super ritzy resort. And this spread page in the middle is pretty cool. It's just like a a top view, but like. It's open, so you can, like, it's kind of like a cutaway to see, like, inside the building. And like a map of the building with a like some random guy laying on a bed, mm-hmm. like people in the hallway, because it's like a gigantic hotel resort. And uh, she's like, off the grid to protect the rich and powerful, upscale enough to have jewel heists and then some guests behaving weirdly. And she's like, we're not in L.A. anymore, Lucky. And uh, shoulder straight, chin high, don't roll your eyes, Kate. Let's pretend I still know how to navigate this. You know, because obviously she's from the uppity ups, so she should, she does know how to act in these situations. Right. Um, she walks on the property and somebody asks her, asks her, like, how they could help her. And she, like, right as she's getting ready to start talking to the lady, like, her, like, the dog takes off. And so she charged, she takes off after the dog, runs around the corner, and there's her sister. She hasn't seen her sister for a long time. And so this starts playing back and forth. It's kind of like complicated. Like, bear with me here. Cause she's like, she's going to flash back from the last time she saw her sister in their conversation, how it went and like how, like the end in the current conversation. Right. Duality of things. So her sister's Susan and, and she goes, Hey, little sis, I'm, I'm glad you got my invite. And she's like, my sister, my very strange sister, my hates everything I do, sister. And it flashes to her sister looking at her in her costume, like her very first costume. And says, you look ridiculous in that outfit. I won't be seen with you like this. She's like, what are you doing here? She's like, I'm sorry for all the subterfuge. I wasn't sure you'd want to, want to meet me. And then and she thinks to herself, I'm not sure either. And she goes, well, I need a favor. 
And she, I knew this was some sort of trap. I would have preferred supervillains. And she said, give me a chance, please. I know we haven't always seen eye to eye on things, but that's one way to put it, Kay said. What was it? You you said last time, I'm an embarrassment to the bishop name. And then it like, like goes back to the, with our family. You haven't been here to see how dad runs his business. I want nothing to do with that. Because I guess what happened is like their dad was a crook and like the sister is taking out, like hasn't been around. And so she's just like, that's a whole thing. Yeah. It's like, tell me, uh, Miss Perfect, what can this embarrassment do for you? What did you trick me into coming here? Um, she's like, I don't think, I didn't think that you'd, f- you'd just pick up the phone if I called, but I need help. It's important. Kate, please. Or Katie, please. And she's like, I'm sorry. I was wrong about you. All I ask is a chance to explain why I invited you. She's like, are you here on behalf of dad? And her sister's like, no, never. She's like, well, then talk. She's like, I came to this resort two weeks ago. Work had been busy, and I needed, what, pool time, a spa treatment, caviar from Gold Spoons? Weren't you happy living the, your comfortable married life with what's-his-face? And then his sister says, Katie. She's like, it's Kate, actually. Like, David and I broke up when I had to take over the business from Dad. I needed time off, and this sounded good. It sounded perfect. Maybe it was the, it was too good to be true. And Kate's like, well, it usually is. And as they walk through, like, some people, some, like, people start to get closer to him. And, Fewer uh, the resort employee types. And, uh, by the time I got home three days later, I had scratches everywhere, and I couldn't remember how I got them. There were burn marks on my clothes, but I don't remember any fire aside from some of the, some of the performances. And I only remember lazing by the pool. I had such a good time. I realized my signet ring had been stolen a week later. It took me a week to notice because they'd swapped it for a brass ring and somehow made me believe it was real. It 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 had to have happened here. I need the ring back, Kate. I mean, Katie. I mean, Kate. It, it's vital, and I need someone I can trust to help me. And she's like, well, you must be real desperate. And uh, now there's a juggler that's kind of like circling around them, too. It's like, if you don't do it for family, then I'll, I'll pay you just like I said in the invite. Pretend I'm a customer, client, whatever. And she's like, first of all, you're my sister, and you've lost it if you think I'd let you pay. Second, are we being followed by two grunts and a juggler? And her sister said, act normal, trust me. And she's like, uh, sure. And then she says, not until I figure out where my dear sister falls on our family tree of supervillains, half vampires and superheroes, but she may have a point. This whole clue zombie edition thing is giving me the creeps. Uh, thank you. And then her sister says, thank you. I hope I hope I can do better by you this time. And the juggler says, stop right there. ID, please. And then like she pulls up, she pulls up her sleeves and she has these two bracelets on. And the sister says, leave us, leave us, leave us be now. And they're like, of course, Ms. Bishop. Then after like the weird juggler and the two guys walk away, um, her sister says, I know what I'm doing. I know, I don't know what these wristbands have to do with anything, but I'd rather you wear a fake. And Kay says, I know what I'm doing too, and it's like she must have thrown like a bracelet on her. She does. There's a, yeah. there's a scene where you see her you slip grab her, kind of like grab yeah. her wrist. We and, see her um, grab her wrist, and she puts a bracelet on on Kate. But obviously, it's like a fake, and then she says it's a fake one because like she doesn't know what those what those are for. That must be like the brass ring thing that she thinks that she was talking about earlier. But it doesn't look brass in this. But but then you hear somebody scream, um, and Kate's. In her dialogue, she's like, why did I think this was a good idea again? But at least this sounds familiar. Fifth rule of superheroing, always run toward danger. 
and uh, they run over, and they, there's a jacket hanging on the fence, and um, you see a mom running towards, and it's like t- towards the jacket. That's and it says she's gone. Kennedy is gone. She was supposed to stay near the playground, but she didn't. Someone must have taken her. She's gone. And Kate jumps up, and the mom's saying, "Please, you have to find her." And the sister says, "Kate'll help." And she's like, just dealing with my sister is enough. Just dealing with any of this is enough. But Susan was right. There are strange things afoot at, sh- at the resort Chapiteau. And sixth rule of superheroing, never let puzzles go unsolved. Or as America would say, what did you get yourself into now, Bishop? Only one thing to do. And then she says, Kate Bishop, P.I., I'm on the case. And then it pans to like a security room. There's multiple screens and it's showing what's going on. And, uh, it, but before we get to the security room, there's one weird little scene where you see, which I don't know why Kate's not doing anything because she's looking at the crowd of people, and you see one of the lackeys, one of like the staff, the staff people. push her sister, like literally shove her sister, and her sister's falling backwards, mm-hmm. and then another one grabbing the dog because the dog's getting ready to attack the guy for pushing the sister. Yeah, and uh. But then in, in, on the security camera, you see Kate backed up to her dog, and her dog's snarling. So they're like, what's going on? And she's holding the jacket. And uh, the the hand the hand's reaching out, like kind of pointing. It's like, and somebody says, do you want to continue with the experiment? And, the, and whoever this hand belongs to with a, a, a bracelet of their own and a bunch of rings on it, like the one that her sister was talking about missing, yep. says, proceed as planned. Welcome to the circus, Hawkeye. So, whatever's going on, these family rings have something to do with it. Right. The signet ring, which... Well, the, the hand is a lady's hand. Yeah, it's a lady's hand, for sure. So, whoever it is orchestrating this is clearly a female antagonist of some type. But running the family business, the signet ring, probably means, like, that they're the, they're like the head of the family. Like, right. Like some, um, and, yeah, the dog obviously senses something's wrong, and, yeah, so... It's a little, yeah. We'll see where it goes. It's, it has kind of a, and I and I don't mean this in like a bad way, but it has a Scooby Doo feel to it, and I think it's kind of cool. I like it. Like you told me that you're like, I'm not sure if you like it when I at first, but I I enjoyed it actually. Like I I you know I went into it kind of whatever, and I like Kate Bishop as a character, but you know I give it a four overall. Like the art was clean. I like the art. Like I like the writing. I like how they how they do write how the character in the show, and I, I think it goes back and forth probably, like it comes from both ways, but like in the show, like she's, that's how she talks and acts as well. Right. You know, and so um I enjoyed it. Yeah, I give it a four. Cool. Well, I'll follow suit. I give it a four as well. I, the art's really good. The cover's really cool. Like all the, uh I mean, it, it has some chaos in it too, but it's not the same style chaos. And like I like the art in both of them. I, I would give you the art in the uh, Batgirls is a little more wild, but like the way this moves, and maybe it's just because the show is, was just so good and it's so fun that this book coming out in timing with the show also sets up how a lot of this seems to work. And like it is, it is very like the way she behaves in the car with the, with the phone. I mean, if you if you if you guys have seen the show, then you understand how this book flows and why it works the way it works. Which, it's awesome, and like the way they draw Kate is really cool, and like her costume choices, the mix of purple in there all looks really neat, it doesn't seem forced, so like that's cool, and like, yeah, it, the mystery thing, it's definitely a piece to it, for sure, and like the whole Hawkeye investigation, like I like all that too, so I think that's really cool. Yeah. 
So it'll be interesting to see who the bad guy is or who this hand is and what exactly is going on to be honest what the chase is. There's just not enough yet to know exactly what's happening, but there's all these little like things going on that are questionable. And like her whole monologue the whole time is like, here's the lessons I learned from Clint. Here's the lessons about what you're supposed to do. Like all that stuff's real neat. So like, it's a pretty cool, uh, I don't know. It's pretty cool dynamic when it comes to the, uh, inner monologue and even the texting back and forth with the girls. Like it's it, it's neat. Uh, I assume at some point we'll probably see cameos from at least America, maybe maybe Cassie too. But I mean, I have a feeling at some point she's gonna need to call her friends because of what's going on. Just because of the way that ends that with that whole uh, "What'd you get yourself into?" Uh, I, I, so that that's neat. I think that's cool. But yeah, score wise, man, yeah, I give it a four. Also, like it was, it was good. Both both those books are good. You know, they're both really good books, especially they're a lot of strong female characters, which I think really cool. So all three of these books, actually, I think, actually have um, some very strong, like, female leads, like, potential leads, actually, This as we get into this last book. Like, oh, yeah. And I thought that was pretty cool, too, that you picked all three of these ones. Well, yeah, moving on to our last book. Uh, so the last book is Digger, and this is the one from Action Lab. So this guy is written by uh, Adrian Speckert and uh, Corey Hughes. And uh, art in it is by uh, Thea Fabio, Fabio, and uh, it, it comes out. Well, it comes from Action Lab, which I said that earlier. Uh, but yeah, when the book first opens up, uh, we are in the uh, cemetery, and we are having a uh, funeral for a for a fellow who's passed away. Who we find out later is named Danny Luck, and uh, we have some monologue going on, like explaining how funerals happen and like the things you expect always expect from funerals. And then we cut shortly after the funeral. Um, it's starting to rain. The family's leaving. And we have these two fellows in there. An older dude with a cowboy hat on, uh, which we, we call Minor. And then uh, our other main lead, who's Jack. And the two of them are talking. And uh, Jack, which we, we learn his name later, but it, that's what his name is. Um, he's like, Ten Bucks says this guy's wearing a blue suit. So they're talking about the... So the funeral is a closed casket. And the picture we saw of the guy is like him wearing a sweater with it's like green and purple with a weird design on it. And uh, he kind of looks like Jim Corden, actually, like the dead guy. And uh, anyway, so when we get to the two of them, all the people are leaving the funeral, and uh, Jack's talking to the minor. He says, Ten bucks, Ten bucks says he's wearing a blue blue suit and a mismatched pocket patch. And the minor says, If that prude's bold enough to march up to the pearly gates uh, in blue, I'll dance and buck naked. <laughs> In the middle of the cherries. And <laughs> Jack's like, sounds like I lose the bet either way, which is just hilarious. Um, anyway, then, then uh, Miner says, uh, I'm calling black on the pocket square. And they're talking about the way the dude's dressed. But the casket's still closed. And the two of them take the digging and, best we can tell, put the calf coffin in the ground. Then we fast forward to even later in the evening, and we are still at Danny's grave, and we know that because we see the tombstone. So Danny Luck was the guy's name. The tombstone reads, Loving Father, uh, 1972 to 2018, so year of the book's taking place in 2018. And uh, we see some cracks of lightning, kaboom, 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 and then next thing you know, old uh, Danny has climbed out of the grave, and he is uh, basically a zombie. And... We get a pretty quick bullet shot that takes out his his brain, and uh, we cut back to see uh, Jack and uh, Jack and Miner, and he's like, "See, I told you it was blue." He's like, "That's not blue. That's navy. <laughs> Maybe midnight." 
So, like, the two of them are still talking about the way he's dressed, as if this is a normal thing. He's like, don't be a sore loser, minor. Pay up. He goes, and anyway, so the two of them are like, it's the shade of blue that, that makes the difference. Don't you judge me. And uh, from there, all of a sudden, we realize that there's a lot more zombies that have woken up. And the two of them are like, oh, looks like we, we woke the neighbors up with that. Time to go to work. And the two of them take to just bashing zombie heads. Um, Jack using the shovel and a, a, a six-shooter and the miner using a, a six-shooter and a pickaxe. And it's like, then it has a, a dialogue box that pops and says, working nine to five. And uh, the two of them, as they're fighting off all these zombies, um, Miner yells at Jack. He's like, Digger, because he calls him Digger. Behind you. And he spins around, takes out this one more. And about that time, we see uh, Miner's back give out. Like, he has his back pops, and he uh, goes down. And uh, he's getting swarmed with zombies. And, uh, of course, Digger, Jack, gets over there and smashes some heads off. He beheads a couple of them. And he says, he's like, you're getting rusty on me? And the, the miner tells me he hates the graveyard shift. And so the two of them have now finished what they had to do in the graveyard. And um, they are back inside one of the tombs, putting away their weapons. And there's a whole arsenal of different weapons on the walls. Um, you know, like pickaxes, crosses, grenades, what look to be holy grenades. It's a whole, like, arsenal of things in there. And the miner's holding his back. And he's like, I think I have to quit. And, uh... Digger or Jack's like you can't quit. What do you mean? You, you, you what, what are you talking about? And Miner's like I almost died out there. He's like you almost die every night. You almost died a hundred times. Once more is not gonna kill you. He's like yeah, but this time I, I this time I saw my life flash before my eyes, and you know what I saw? A lot of regret. Home shopping network purchases and digging graves with you. And he's like well that's that's quite a tombstone there. That's a great headline. And he tells him, well, I, I've got to get out of it, son. Like, it's my time. And uh, he tells him, I've got a lot of years, and, and I don't have a lot of years left, so I need to get to living them. He's like, where are you going to go? What are you going to do? What else are you going to What else are you good at other than killing werewolves? He's like, it's not exactly a skill you can put on a resume. And he tells him, well, I was thinking about something place quiet. Maybe you thought thinking about Las Vegas. And uh, he basically says his farewells, and Digger tries to convince him not to leave, and he, as he's doing that, he packs his bag, and out he goes. He's like, don't worry, you'll find somebody new, just like I found you, you'll find somebody. And off he goes. <clears throat> so from there, we cut to uh, someplace entirely different, and we have a lady sitting in the middle of a group of people, drinking a beer, and there's a giant sign hung up behind her that says, you're not hopeless. And uh, uh, we find out this is basically an AA group, is what it is. And she's in there with multiple cans um, aligned around her, drinking the entire time. And uh, as all the people are going around the room saying their, their bits, they eventually get to her and they're like, uh, so uh, no, no matter how hard we try, you, can't, you just can't stop, can you? And they basically tell her that she needs to, uh, she needs to say something, or it needs to be her turn because she's been there enough times that she, she you know, needs to say something to the group. And of course, she makes fun of one of the other guys who's talking about missing his kids and all these other things, and eventually one of them asks her why she's there, and she's like, well, court mandate. It's not like I enjoy doing it. I have to be here because I've been sentenced to be here. And we learn her name is Emily. And, uh, she's been coming for three weeks, and, uh, she, she's never changed, uh, you know, her mindset about things. And the leader of the group says, well, cat court mandate or not, why don't you share a little bit with the group? And that's what you need to help you here, and that's what we do here. 
And so she goes in this long tirade. It's a lot of dialogue. <clears throat> talking about how she was been a burnout, like she uh had a lot of choices in her life and accomplished quite a few things but could never have ever finish. And uh it it, it it's a lot of dialogue in one bubble, to be honest. It's a lot. Um but she uh She's not like a failure. It's like she's a type that went to school and was doing really good and then just decided she didn't like it anymore. She just quit. So everything she's ever put her four stuff into, she's been great at. But she just doesn't care about doing it. So she goes back to drinking and doesn't care. Anyway, eventually gets to her long tirades in. She's like, is that what you wanted to hear? Staring at the group and like sort of, I don't know, angry. Anyway, so she, uh, the group ends and she goes home. And as she's coming home, she finds an eviction notice, uh, left on her uh, her apartment door, and so she's due to be out by the end of the week because um, she owes money, on the sp- owes money on the spot and she hasn't paid. And she's like, you got to be kidding me. And, of course, the landlord's there while, she, while he's putting it up, and she's like, what the hell is this? Doug, you got to give me one week? That's no time at all. And he's like, well, you should, you, should, you, you, I will, you should be happy I didn't just throw your stuff out um, in a bunch of garbage bags. He goes, look, you're late two months again. She's like, I got fired. He's like, yeah. No idea how that happened. As you see her pound another beer and throw it down in the, in the, in the walkway. And she's like, come on, can't you cut me a break? He's like, one week. And you stop smoking in the bathroom. I can smell it upstairs. <laughs> so, like, she's just like a wreck of, of a life. <laughs> but super bouty. And she's like, oh, okay, I gotta find a job. And so from there, we wind up cutting to the, uh, the next day at the diner. And she's in there with her mom, talking to her mom about trying to get money. Like, asking her mom for help. And her mom's like, I've given you plenty of money. I'm moving away. I'm leaving town. You're going to have to fend for yourself. You're old enough. You should be able to take care of yourself. And I can't just keep helping you. And she's like, oh, so you and Bob, you're just, you're just moving? Bob's the uh, new husband. And uh, she's like, yeah, that's, that's all there is to it, honey. I, I hope that you can get your act together. And I hope that you can figure things out. But tough love is hard love and that's basically it and so mom basically leaves her there leaves money on the table to pay for dinner and so uh emily gets up and she walks over to the uh, post-it board you know like one of those old sticker boards that has all the little cards for businesses yep and of course on there she finds one that is uh grave digger wanted is what it says and it's uh brighton falls cemetery and it's a phone number so uh she clearly she takes that card because that's the one you know the only one we see from there, we cut to uh, the inside of like a trailer, and it's a mess. And we find Digger, or Jack. Pass out on the uh, couch, you know, still fully dressed from the night before. Lots of cans on the bottom, so uh, he also has a, you know, a drinking habit. And uh, he's in the process of waking up, and we see that a bunch of the ads, like the same ad that was hung up in the restaurant, just like flung about all over the place, so we know it's from him. And, uh... Someone's knocking at his door, and he's like, unless you're beer or you got food, go away. And the person on the other side says, uh, don't you think it's a little early to be drinking beer, Jack? And he's like, oh, man, I- I'm coming. And so he jumps up, and he runs to the door, and there's this pretty red-haired lady with a pie outside. And she's just happy to see him and delivering food so he can have a happy life. And she's all cheerful and super stoked that he's, you know, alive. And uh, she's well put together, not a wreck. And he's, uh, you know, half-stubble beard and... Clearing his head from, you know, a night of killing zombies and whatnot. Uh, he's like, oh, I'm, I'm real, real sorry. I'm glad you, glad you bring, you know, I'm glad, glad to see you. And, and the two of them have a little bit of conversation. We find out they've had a, you know, there's a point in time where he was the star football team, basically guy, and she was the cheerleader type. And so it was supposed to be a happy union. And then somewhere in the world, it didn't work out. And, uh, she still has 
clearly has feelings for him because she's still delivering a, a breakfast pie, which is still kind of weird. But he's like, uh, you know, happy to see her. Tells her to see her at the restaurant later because she works at a restaurant. And uh, from there, we find out that the guy that's driving her around is her boyfriend, fiance guy. And he's in this fancy car with his fancy jacket, and he's yelling at her, "Oh, look at the time! We got to get going. We got to keep quit wasting time. We got time's a wasting here." And so he's like, uh, "Sounds like you got to get got to get going." The suit's cracking the whip. She's like, "Oh, be nice." He's just all stressed about his his reelection. And so later, we wind up learning that he's running for election in town. It's a whole thing. So he's like the town mayor. Um, so he's kind of a jerk. Anyhow, so uh, the, the uh, two of them load up in the car, and we see him pull out a, a re-election sign. He sticks it in front of uh, in front of Digger's trailer, and he's like, "Hope I can call your vote, Big D. Hopefully, I can count on you." And uh, he's like, "I wouldn't uh, wouldn't have a start in my yard if I couldn't." And he, it's not like he put the sign there; it's because the dude put the sign there. Anyway, so he goes back inside. He's like, ah, story of my life. And he walks to the refrigerator, opens it up, and we see inside there is a ton of pies. Just a ton, stacks of them. So uh, he he doesn't really eat them very fast, and it seems like she brings them a lot. And he adds this one to the menagerie of stacked pies, and uh, we get some more voiceover and stuff, and that's where we see a picture of the two of them on, on the refrigerator. And it's a picture of her and the mayor, and uh, he finally gets tired of looking at that and tears off the part of the mayor and throws it away. From there, we cut to the opening gate at the uh, cemetery. And we are with Emily, who's looking at the card, and she's like, I guess this is the place. Um, I guess six months of cooking school, and this is where I get you. And so she comes in there, and she's wandering around the cemetery, and eventually she f- comes up to the, the main building. And she sees a digger outside who's moving a batch of, of uh, rocks. She's like, uh, so, uh, I'm here about the, the job? And he's like, oh, what, uh, what, what terrible choice does life bring you here? And she's like, a mixture of AA and unpaid rent? <laughs> it's hilarious, man. Like, it's so funny. He's like, ah, so you, did you read the fine print? And she's like, just looks like some, for some, I'm just looking for some work. Cause I don't think I, I can do, I don't think I can do too good. At the bohemian lifestyle. So I'm talking about living homeless and whatnot. She's like, I'm too attached to my uh, massaging head, sh- my massaging shower head. <laughs> and he's like, you got any, uh, you got any experience? And she's like, I've managed to dig my life in, I managed to dig my life in a big enough hole, if that counts. Because she thinks he means experience digging. So, I mean, she's like, yeah, I dug up myself into this hole, so uh, of course I do. He's like, uh, well, we, we got that in common. Any dreams or, uh, prospects? And she's like, I'm waiting, I'm, I'm weighing my, my, I'm weighing my options. So it's like this whole banter between the two of them. It's really pretty funny. Like, I did not do a good job delivering it just now, because it reads a lot cooler than that. He's like, well, congratulations, you're hired, and he tosses her shovel. And, uh, from there, they basically get to dig in the hole for the, the next, uh, guy to be buried. She's like, seems like, uh, you did a lot for such a small town. He's like, uh, Brighton Falls gets a lot of out of town business. And she's like, oh, I guess everyone's gotta be buried somewhere. One way or the other. And, uh, as they're doing, as they're digging, eventually he's like, well, could, you could pick a worse place. And we see him looking down the, from the cemetery in the town. And we get a close up of the red haired girl going to work now at the, at the restaurant. And, uh, it, we cut back to the two of them still digging the hole. And she's like, 
My God, you hit the nail on the head. Is that your high school sweetheart? Now, how exactly she saw what he was looking at from the side of the hill, I don't understand. Um, it, it doesn't seem that far away, I guess, but it, I think that's a little... That part's weird, but we'll let it go. Anyway, so we get a little more banter with them learning about each other, and uh, that's where we find out about him being the, you know, the town football star until he became what he is now. He tells her, you need to get in here and start digging some of this hole. So she climbs down the hole with him, and the two of them are digging some more, and she's like... There's a little more banter between the two of them, and she's like, "So how deep do we dig these things? Is like, are are we how far are we planning to put these people down? Are we retiring them in China? Is that whole China thing is a myth? If you dig straight down through the through the through Brighton Falls, you'll end up somewhere in Tokyo. So like, that's pretty. I, don't know, I thought it was hilarious actually. <laughs> I thought that part was so funny because if you dig straight down, yeah, don't, you don't really come out. Yeah, it's uh anyway." <laughs> And she's like, you say like you like you say that like you've actually done it. He goes, well, it wasn't exactly me who did it. Okay, we're done for now. And so they tell tells her it's time to cut time off. And he's like, I'll see you back here tonight. Uh, we work the graveyard shift. Wear comfortable shoes. She's like, graveyard shift. He's like, yep. Uh, and bring garlic. She's like, what garlic? And from there, uh, we cut to him going basically to dinner, which is at the restaurant, and we join the the redhead lady again with her pies. And she's real happy to see him. She's glad he stopped by to get dinner. And she's already got stuff waiting for him. She cuts him a big slice of pie and gives it to him. And he doesn't necessarily like sweet things, we kind of learn, as this is going on. Anyway, there's some more banter between them, explaining like their life and how things are connected. And then here comes the, the would-be mayor. And he shows up basically to rub it in his face that she's not with him anymore. And he needs to get that through his head because, you know, their their romantic options are over. Because he, he starts talking about, that. Oh, it seems like they hired a new girl up there. And he's like, yeah, no, we hired a new girl. And, of course, the mayor gets all sleazy about it. Like, oh, yeah, she's a pretty young thing, blah, blah, blah. So just, the dude's a sleazeball. And he, like, implies the idea that he would, you know, if he had his option, he'd have his way with her. He's like, yeah, I'm not into the whole workplace romance. And uh, about then she comes back out and he's like, oh, you keep all this to yourself. And then uh, Diggard's is like, yeah, you, I'm not like that, man. And uh, about that time, he grabs Digger's pie, and he stuffs it in his face and starts eating it. And she comes back out, and she's like, oh, I'm glad you finished your pie. I'm glad you loved it so much. He's like, oh, yeah, best pie in town. And uh, off the mayor goes, and uh, from there, Digger retires back to the graveyard for the evening shift. So now we've cut back to night, and we've got uh, Emily and uh, Digger both standing there with their shovels. And she's like, so we just wait here? Um, it's not like anything is going to happen with these guys. What, uh, are they all going to wake up and have something to do? He's like, you'd be surprised. Did you bring the garlic? And she's like, I didn't have much in my fridge, but I found this. And it's like a thing of garlic bread, like restaurant garlic bread. Right. And she's like, what? You said garlic. Not my fault that you weren't specific in what you what form you wanted it in. And he's like, ah, oh, man. And he basically tosses the garlic bread just away. And then about that time, we hear some weird noises, and this fog starts rolling in, and she, he's like, ah, we need to get ready. She's like, what's all this fog? And he's like, that would be the fine print. You didn't read the fine print on the card, did you? And I'll give you, on the card, there's like a few dots. Apparently, that's the fine print. And the fine print has to do with at night, you fight monsters. I'm sure that's actually on there. It might be. But it's like, there's there's tiny dots, and it bleeds itself with the phone number. So yeah, it's I'm sure it is. Uh, but yeah, we cut from there to see, like, in the fog, something rising out of it with glowing eyes. And he's like, uh, oh, it's time to go to work. 
And about that time, this crazy vampire-looking, I don't know, Nosferatu kind of mix of a dude comes flying out and tries to take him out. He tries to shoot it. Of course, that doesn't happen. He winds up holding it off with the uh, shovel, using the stick in the middle to hold its face up there. He's like, oh, I knew I smelled smelled like vampires. Rookie, any day would be nice. And she's like, what what am I supposed to do? He's like, your job. And the thing is trying to eat his face and... uh, his tongue's going all crazy and it's biting down on the, the handle of the, uh, of the, of the shovel. And we see her throw the garlic bread <laughs> and it hits him in the, it hits the vampire in the head. So she elected to throw the, like, that's what she just figured she had to do. And uh, it, it's funny. That distracts the vampire enough because he looks at her and that gives the uh, digger a chance to kick him in the chest. He's like, good enough. He stands up, lays into the thing with a couple of shots. And she's like, what the hell is, what the hell is this thing? What, what are we doing? Is that a dog or a <laughs> werewolf? Like, what is happening? And he, about that time, it springs between the two of them and it gets in, it gets a good lash on both of them, knocks them both to the ground. Digger spins around, lights it up with a couple of shots through the chest. It smashes him into a, uh, uh, one of the graves. It cracks it and breaks it down. Then the thing turns and goes after Emily. He's like, oh man, rookie, use the shovel, use the shovel. And she, she looks at the shovel and, Gets the idea to twist the handle off the back of it. And so she twists off the handle. And on the back side, of course, it's a sharp end. And she turns it just in time to impale the uh, vampire stake through the heart style. And, of course, it explodes into, you know, little bits. And he's like, well, okay, so as it explodes into little bits, she's just like, oh, my God, this is crazy. And uh, then we see off camera, he's like, next time, read the fine print. And you see he's, stand- he's standing above her with his hand out. And he's like, welcome to Grave Diggers. And that's where we end, like with her, this stick covered in blood and exploded vampire all over the place. Um, I think this book is awesome. Like, I like it so much. Like, there's this TV show that happened called, uh, oh gosh, it's Stan versus Evil. And it, uh, stars Dr. Cox, the guy who plays Dr. Cox from, uh, Scrubs. It had to do with witches. There you go. It had to do with, uh, witches and, uh, him being cursed because his wife was a witch and, being the sheriff of the town that he lived in, uh, the curses against the sheriff. Anyway, it's got two seasons. It's great because that guy is great. This reminds me of that a lot, just because the styling of it's kind of that way. And like the idea of it is just so in my brain. I'm like, this is the greatest thing ever. I mean, it's monster hunting in the middle of the night with like all these crazy quirks. Um, I feel like the writing is really is really strong because it reads so funny, and just like the the weird value myths between the two of them. Him and Emily, or any actually any of the characters, I like it a lot. Um, score wise, oh man, I give it a four. I mean, I feel like I like the art. I mean, I'll give you it's got some messy edges too, and it's a it's in in the book, so like it's, it's styling is a little more wild. But I like the way the main character looks, Emily. Well, I guess I, I guess they're both main characters at this point, Emily and Digger. I like the way both of them look. I like the idea of uh, the only thing standing between us and the complete annihilation for monsters is the dude who works the night shift at the graveyard. I think that idea is so cool. So for me, I give it a four. No, four and a half. Four and a half. The final answer, four and a half. I think it's awesome. Like I love this book so so much. It's great. Um, Josh, do you know anything about Digger? Well, so the weird part you're talking about, he's just looking into town. Right. I mean, he sees, he could see her in the distance because he knows who she is. 
Right. Well, then and she he, starts asking questions about the. She doesn't. She's state. She's making statements. She's not asking questions. Oh. Those are periods. They're not question marks. So she says, "Don't tell me you're one of those townies who just stays." And she completely reads him out of who he really is. And then, and then she's just like, "Oh, so she's probably the cheerleader." And you were the handsome football star, and you broke your arm and lost your scholarship, and how cliche do we want to go here? <laughs> so she was, like, talking trash. She's not, yeah. like, she's just saying, like, it's the same story I've heard a thousand times. And, uh... Same way he did to her when she showed up. Yeah, exactly. Except for, like, she's way more in-depth, like... Oh, yeah. We'll get thicker. Because she's way more mouthy. Um, It moves very, very fast. Like, a lot happens in one issue. Like, That's a true. lot, a lot, a lot. Um, that was probably so, but the writing flowed decent enough. Um, the art is real hit or miss. Sometimes, like the scenes are really great, and I'm like, "Wow, that's a really well drawn, you know, few panels." But then other times, I'm like, "Oh my gosh, this is so messy." It's just like it's it's very hit or miss. Like when he's looking in the fridge. Or like all the pies are definitely messy. Well, I mean, just in general, like just. Like just that whole scene in the in the his trailer is just real messy. Like the big action scenes are fantastic. Like the it's like the the artist loves the action to draw the action scenes, but hates drawing anything else. <laughs> that that might be a case, and it's absolutely noticeable to me. Um, but I do like the dialogue; it's well written. Um, I mean, I give it a three seven five. Like I thought it was a good indie book. Like I hope it continues to be good. It's hard for me sometimes on indies. I've said this a thousand times, but like. The first one or two are really good, and then they just fizzle out real bad. Like sure. they're trying to, they, I, whether it comes to, they don't know what a deadline is. I don't, I don't know th- these people, so I don't know like what the, what else they've done. So I'm not sure, but yeah, namesake wise, they're not names I'm familiar with at all. Um, not even really. Writers, artists, I don't, I don't recognize either name really. Not that, that matters so much, but I, yeah, as far as the thing, I for all I know, this is the first book they've ever done. Yeah, um, yeah, I guess. I mean, it's, I, I think it's a pretty good book, so. I'd say check it out if you guys get a chance to. Like, at this point, I want to say, I think issue three came out maybe, maybe two weeks ago. So it's been out for a minute, and it is from Action Lab, which is a smaller company. So um, at some point, they'll volumize it or put it into a trade, of course. But yeah, it's, the book itself is not that old, so if if, if you're into it, like uh, I'd say, just ask around or see what you can do online. Because I mean, Action Lab's got a pretty good, big presence online. They're the same people that put out uh, Midnight Tiger, which we did. Inter- we did stuff for a long, like I don't know, three years ago. Uh, they did Midnight Tiger, and they're the same company that did Stray. So like Vito Del Sante's book, um, our buddy Vito. So like, piece wise, the company puts out a whole bunch of different stuff. They also put out a bunch of those Zombie Tramp books. So there's a, it's it, the company itself has a barrage of different stuff. But yeah, this guy would say you're, there's a little language in it, a little bit, but it's Wait, awesome. it does have M for Mature on it. Right, it, it does. Mature Reader book, but... True. There's no, like... No, it's not out of control. But yeah, I, I would say check it out, guys, because it's I thought it was freaking great. So, all right. And so from there, we'll go ahead and run into our uh, interview from the uh, Denver Fan Experience 2021 Special Edition. Uh, this is me and Max uh, talking with Martin Blacksheep from Alliance Larp Denver. So we'll go ahead and run that for you. Um, enjoy. This is Steve Top Five Comics Podcast here at the uh, Fan Expo 2021 Special Edition. And I'm here with 
uh, Max from the Men Who Look Bad in Spandex podcast. And we are also with... Martin Black Sheep, the Black Sheep of Clan McKenna, representing Alliance LARP Denver. Uh, we are the largest LARP in Colorado. Uh, come out and see us. We play weekends. Excellent. Well, like, what got you into doing this in the first place, man? Uh, well, I started out playing D&D, like probably everybody here, everybody on the podcast. Um, but then Lord of the Rings came out, and I wanted to be Strider. Uh, honestly, my first ranger character that I ever named in D&D. I was 11 years old. Of course, he was named Strider, half-elf ranger. Um, then I found uh, Alliance Denver, and I realized that I could dress up and do this uh, in real life. And it's just been a lot of fun since then. That is awesome, man. Like you guys, you said you do events most of the year. Um, like as far as like stuff, so what's the uh, what's the craziest thing you've ever had to build? Uh, well, for our uh, our season opener just a few months ago, and you can see pictures of this at uh, AllianceDenverLarp.com, uh, we built a 20-foot tall kraken, completely lit up, complete with tentacles, black lights. Uh, it was it was absolutely amazing. Please check out the website, look at the pictures. Um, probably one of the hardest monsters that we've ever had to build and to fight, but uh, everybody really enjoyed that uh, that combat as well as the build process behind the scenes. Um. When you do go out on the weekends, you were talking about a Friday, Saturday, and even Sunday. What's that like? Almost like, can, can you give us a condensed idea of a front-to-back schedule, almost? Absolutely. So uh, our games are typically around 80, 90 people. Uh, we play from uh, Friday night. Lay-on is about 8 o'clock. Uh, so all, all Friday night doesn't end until about 2 in the morning. All day Saturday, and then until about uh, 11 o'clock or noon on Sunday. We've got a uh, campsite down in uh, Elbert, Colorado, so we've actually got uh, several acres cool. of, uh, of outdoor property to, uh, to play on. And we're not exactly roughing it. The, uh, the campsite has full cabins, full showers, bathrooms. We've got a fully staffed kitchen. We deliver five meals over the course of the weekend. So for, uh, for the cost of entry, yes, you don't just get to play uh, Strider, Aragorn, or whatever your, your fantasy uh, is. Uh, we take care of you as well. Now... Everybody plays by a certain set of rules, correct? Um, everybody buys in, right? I mean, because I've seen movies, I've seen examples, and like I don't know. For me, I've never done LARPing. I'd almost want to like cheat and say my leg wasn't cut off. But everybody kind of sticks to the idea of what's going on in the rules that you establish. Absolutely. So the Alliance Rulebook is actually a national organization. We're just the Denver chapter, but there are Alliance groups all over the nation. We all play by the same rulebook. Um, we're just getting ready to come out with the 2.1 rule set revision. That'll be next year. And, um, you know, it is, it's, it's about being honest with yourself and honest with uh, your friends and everybody else. Um, it can get a little bit crunchy trying to count, like, your hit points in real life when you're getting hit or if your leg gets cut <laughs> off. But, um, you know, it's, it's no fun to, to play the, the, the rhino hide or the, or the cheater like that. Honestly, it's more fun to go down and get killed in a really cinematic way and see like your friends' reactions and everything when you just roll on the ground and you're bleeding out. It it really does create a uh, a sense of urgency and a sense of realism to the game. So uh, honestly, everybody really does conform to uh, to those rules. And the other side of that is safety. We've got a lot of rules that are built around player safety. Obviously, you want to make sure that people are are able to to do this again and again and and be safe. Uh, everything from weapon construction to uh, in the heat of summer, we'll actually call uh, summer rules for armor. Those of you on the podcast, you can't see me right now. I am head to toe in oh, yeah. leather with fur and chainmail. Oh yeah, oh yeah, uh, very impressive. But in the summertime, we uh, we call summer rules. You can you can wrap your armor without actually having to wear chainmail and leather, and it's it's again for for player safety. We don't want anyone passing out from heat stroke. <laughs> um, 
in my experience in D&D, clerics always bemoan being clerics because they have to heal everybody. Do you have the same experience in LARPing? So in the Alliance world, there are no uh, deities or gods or anything like that, uh, but we have earth and celestial magic, and healing is an element of the, uh, the earth uh, uh, spe- uh, magic system. Uh, so the healers actually uh, kind of have, have two roles. So under earth magic, you have healing, but then there's also a lot of uh, kind of control. You can pin your enemies, you can shatter their weapons, uh, you can web them so that they can't move around. Uh, so nobody really gets pigeonholed into that healer role if they don't want to. There's a, there's always a little bit of duality to uh, to the class system. Very good. And uh, the class system is actually pretty fluid as well. So even if you wanted to be a healer wielding a longsword, there's nothing preventing you from doing that. So is there like age ca- Like what kind of ages do you guys have? Is it all ages? Like what do you got going on? Uh, so it is. Uh, we like to say it's an adult game uh, for adults. Uh, the, the content can be uh, a little scary, a little bit intense. Um, our Halloween game. Um, I died. It was it was terrifying. Uh, we had these. You can see the masks over here. These were uh, devourers that were basically out to eat everyone's soul. Um, age ranges uh, honestly anywhere from teens all the way up into thirties, forties, fifties. We do have specific rules for uh, people who are under the age of sixteen. We call that our page policy, and they just need to be accompanied by an adult who is participating in the game. And we have some modified combat rules again for uh, for safety to make sure that they don't get injured. Sure, sure. Keep everybody safe. Everything. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Well, as far as the I think you mentioned the website earlier, give us it one more time. Sure, that's uh, AllianceDenverLarp.com. Yeah, I'm, I'm gonna go hit it up, man. That's fantastic. What is your go-to karaoke song? Oh, Kokomo Beach Boys. Excellent choice. Very good, sir. Now, if you're just stranded on a deserted island and you only take five items with you. What five items would you take? Okay, so this is going to be a weird one. Uh, when I'm not dressed head to toe in leather and chainmail, I work in IT. I only need one item. It's a length of fiber optic cable. I bury that in the sand and I wait for the backhoe to show up and dig it up. <laughs> good joke. That's an IT joke. That's good. Nice. That's good. That's good. Okay. Right. If you lived in Fantasyland, would you ride a chocolate pony? I would not. No. No. It'd melt, right? It would melt. I also I would get hungry. Like I would I would end up with just a chocolate ass. <laughs> Excellent. Thanks for taking time to talk with us, man. You, appreciate sir. it. Yes, thank you guys. Appreciate the time. Very good. Awesome. All right, I just want to thank uh, Martin again for taking the time to talk to me and Max and while we were out there, we got to see a whole bunch of their prop weapons and their prop shields and stuff. Like, they had a whole display with a bunch of the different gear they use, and all of it really, really impressive. And his outfit in itself uh, alone was really impressive. So, like, super awesome. Uh, cool dude to talk to. Real fun. Like, the, the different pieces they got to show us there. They had a whole, like, demo ring for you to battle your friends. So, that was really cool. Um, I'd say if you're into that idea or want to get into it, they'd be a great place to check out. And, like, their website, they, they're not the only... Alliance is a bigger group, but it's not just Denver, so if you live someplace else, you might be able to find a group someplace near you. But I say definitely check it out. Um, again, thank Martin for, you know, taking the time to chit-chat with us. See, from there, um, time for the lesson of the day. Josh, what'd you learn today? Oh, before we go on from that, huh. um, if anybody's super, super into sci-fi, um, uh, Orson Scott Card is one of the greatest sci-fi authors of all time, and he finally put out his last, um, I guess you would call it the Enderverse, like Ender's Game. 
is the very first one. And, uh, the for, very, for his novel series. Yeah. Yeah. And there's like, I think there's 10 or 11 altogether, um, that he wrote. Cause he did the Ender, the, the side, Ender's side of it. And he came back and did the shadow side of it, which follows Bean and then all the other, um, battle school people, the people. Other and than, like, and, other than Ender. Yeah. But that when they all come back to Earth and stuff like that. And so that deals all, even his brother, like who he leaves behind, but, the, the Ender version follows him and his sister, Valentine. They go out into space, and then, like, this one follows everybody else. And then the, the the newest book, and it's the last one, and he finally ends it. The whole gigantic series brings them back together and brings it full circle. But, uh, it's re- it, uh, I just finished it uh, last week, early last week, and it, it was absolutely incredible. So if you've read those books and you didn't know about this, because I was surprised... I. I'd been kind of hoping it was going to come out, but like he's hit or miss because he writes so many books. Like he really, I think he, he writes like four books a year or something like that. It's crazy. I'm always seeing like yeah, I keep yeah. seeing books. I'm like I've never even seen this before. But uh, and he also co-authors a bunch of stuff with people. But he uh, yeah, the last book finally came out it was called The Last Shadow, and uh, it was pretty cool. So um, check that out if you're in, into sci-fi. And if you've never read any of those books, like um, start with Ender's Game. It's just probably one of the it's one, it's one of my favorite books ever. I think it's one of the best science fiction books of all time. So Sweet. Heck yeah. Uh, well, what'd you learn today, Josh? Monster hunters don't like pie? I mean, this particular one does not have a sweet tooth. That's true. That is, that is very true. What did I learn today, Josh? Always read the fine print. <laughs> I guess that, yeah. If you're applying for a job, you really should probably make sure to <laughs> at least read what the job's actually about. I mean, I do think it'd be awesome to stumble into fighting vampires in the middle of the night in the in the sweet graveyard. But that's just me, and that's maybe not everybody's choice. Uh, yeah, it's a good point. I read the fine print. Now, let's see. From lessons of the day, we go to uh, books to watch. Uh, I've got a couple books on my radar, and I mean, like you just said about the Orson's Cart card. It's a normal book, but as a thing, it would still be a book to check out. Um, did you have any other books, radar-wise, comic-book-wise, anything like that? No, oh, sir. Okay. Uh, well, i got a couple. Uh, so Count Crowley's having a new series come back, so the second volume for The Count. Uh, so Count Crowley, Amateur Midnight Monster Hunter is the second series. Uh, it's a four-part. Um, so the same writer, same artist. Uh, so David... Uh, and I don't know how to say his last name. I really don't. It's the guy who is Polka Dot Man in Suicide Squad. That's who he is. Uh, David DeMatch. Yeah, I don't know how to say it. That's Malchian. There you go. That's Malchian. Hearing it, I can say it. But yeah, you're reading it. Good luck. Uh, but yeah, so David, he's reading the second volume of uh, Count Crowley. Uh, issue one comes out next month because the number two is in the uh, catalogs currently. Uh, but yeah, first Count Crowley, we did a review for it, I don't know, kind of a year ago, year and a half ago, is fantastic. Uh, as far as volumes, the volume one came out, I think it's $20, it's from Dark Horse. Uh, I'd say it's definitely worth a read, it's freaking awesome. First one is Count Crowley, Reluctant Monster Hunter. Uh, so the second series, of course, like I just said, is Amateur Midnight Monster Hunter, which is fantastic. So uh, I love it, the same team, uh, same artist, writer, everything, so I think that's going to be great, and the David... That dude's awesome. Um, another book to watch would be uh, The Rocketeer. We're getting a new four-part miniseries called uh, The Rocketeer, The Great the Great Race. Uh, it's going to be four-part also. It's coming out from IDW. 
thing that's cool about this one is it's being done by Steve Mooney. Steve Mooney's the guy who did Half Past Danger, which uh, several years ago, again, we reviewed Half Past Danger, which was a fantastic book that had to do with Nazis and dinosaurs in World War II. Um, it was great. Uh, he is drawing and writing this as well. The test pages that are in the catalogs, and I'm sure on the, in the, on the internet right now, are fantastic. This, the dude's such a great artist. Um, but yeah, Steve, is, he's great. Uh, so I'd say watch for those two. Both of them should be freaking awesome. I mean, Count Crowley, the first one, I couldn't speak good enough about it. It was so good. Um, and as far as Rocketeer, I mean, I always like the Rocketeer. So, and Steve draws that period of time real well, too. I mean, that's the half past danger. That's the time frame for it, too. So, if you guys have listened to the show for the last couple of years and have heard about those books or seen those books, you'll know what to expect from these guys. But both of them should be fantastic. Um, I felt like there was a third one, and now uh, it escapes me. I don't remember what it was. I thought it would come back to me while I was talking, but it just, just didn't. Uh, oh, well, there's going to be a Batman Beyond. I didn't mention that last week, though. There's going to be a new Batman Beyond miniseries. Uh, six part. So that should be awesome. Um, yeah, that's, that's what I got. Um, 45, anything else? No, I don't. So to key? No. Oh, man. It's like one week to do okay. Next week, it's okay. To key! <laughs>